How many of y'all been going through a a battle of some sort? Raise your hand like you just, you know, or maybe you you just came out of one. You know, there's seasons of uh, warfare, and then there's you know days of warfare, and I don't get caught up too much in like trying to decide what what where the trouble is coming from. I just know God's going to use it for my good. Because uh, with God, it's like when you play poker with God, if you have a straight royal flush and he's just got a pair of twos, he still wins. He just wins with any hand because he's God. And so when you, when you get, get dealt a bad hand, he just kind of looks at you like, we can, we can still win, don't worry. We can still win. And that's just the, the great thing about being with the Lord. This past week, I had uh, this opportunity. I was at CVS, and um, I walked past this young black man who was just kind of standing there, and he had like a book bag or something just at his feet. Have you all been to that CVS that's off Hawthorne? It's got like a long hallway. It's just kind of like a weird design. And so he was standing in this hallway, and so when I went in, I walked past him, and I noticed him, and I didn't really, I just kind of kept my radar on for him if, because my heart was drawn to him, and I went and got my stuff inside the store, came back out, and he was exactly, you know, same position. It looked like he's just going to be there for a while. So I, when I walked by him, I said, do you have a ride? And he said, well, my car broke down. Actually, it ran out of gas. And then my battery, car battery died, so he was charging his, a battery charger in the wall. And, uh, and so I said, well, hang on, let me get some cash and, uh, so you can get some gas, you know. And so I went in there, got some cash for him, and then I realized, I was like, he probably didn't have a gas tank. He needs a gas tank. So I went in, uh, to a gas station, got a five-gallon gas tank, filled it up brought it back to him, and he was super thankful and appreciative, and then he just asked me, he said, um, I hadn't said anything about the Lord or anything yet. He said, what church you go to? <laughs> I said, I actually pastor a church, and he was asking me about it, but um, he said, man, I've been trying to like do things God's way, and I've just been hit with so much resistance. I said, well, you just turned and like faced this this tidal wave that's called the world. <laughs> I said, so there's like, there's going to be resistance, you know, and, you know, he just felt like nothing was kind of going right for him. And I said, well, I said, yeah, man, that's, we're, you're in, we're overcomers. Like it means we, we, we overcome things. And, you know, like the most popular in the world in general, the most popular thing tends not to be the right thing. And, and so there's a, uh, there's a tide, there's resistance that we have to face every day as believers. And, you know, I, when I first um, gave my life to the Lord, I had a few weeks where I just, the peace of God would just flooded my heart. And I just, I felt like I was walking on a cloud. And then uh, I show up in my bedroom one night and there, there was like a, 
demon of fear at the foot of my bed for, that was there for a week. And the only scripture I even knew or but I'd memorized it at that time was Psalm 23. Pretty, that's a good one to memorize. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about just, hey, you got to get out of here, all right? You're not, you're squatting. And squatting means you, you're trying to sit on territory that's not yours. That's a lifeguard term from Hilton Head. Anyways, and so, so anyways, I would just, I would feel like the fear every night before I go to bed. And I just would pray myself to sleep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I just pray myself to sleep over and over, Psalm 23. And then after a week, that thing had to leave. It was gone. But I had to, <laughs> I had to battle it every night for a week, you know. And I do think that more so now than ever, I remember, you know, I think about my dad growing up in South Georgia. He used to um, farm cotton and peanuts and tobacco. His family did. And he would be ready to pick a row of cotton, and he couldn't see the end of the row. And he just would be like, going to be a long day and he had to get every they because they handpicked it you didn't have all this leftover that you see when the the combines go and so his dad after they picked it his dad would kind of stand out look over the field and any white he saw he'd send them back out and dad used to long for school to come back in session because it meant he didn't have to work in the middle of the day you know to avoid the heat um you know it was just like perseverance was just built into life, you know, but now I, I can order Amazon, something from Amazon and I, I don't have to make a trip to Lowe's because I'm just get on Amazon. And so we do have our, our, our world is just set up so conveniently, but it makes us um, kind of lose some of that natural built in persevering. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to get a letter from somebody, you had to wait two to three weeks to get a letter from somebody. How many of y'all remember ordering something from in the mail and you was like six to eight weeks? I used to order CDs and it was like, it's coming in like six to eight weeks. You know, I, get, I was one of those CD clubs. And so I was like, six to eight weeks, it'll, be, it'll get here. And it probably won't be popular anymore, but by the time it gets here, I'll, I'll have a CD. And so we just don't have that built in anymore. Um, and so I want to, uh, if you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, I want to talk about the importance of perseverance. And the Bible talks a lot about perseverance. And it's, it, you know, you can substitute the words endurance, steadfast, patience, perseverance, long-suffering, you know, these are all different words for basically the same thing of like, hey, you've got to like stand. You've got to keep believing. And so in Romans 5, it talks about the salvation of God and how we participate in the glory of God. And then in verses 3 through 5, it says, and not only this. But we also exult in our tribulations, meaning re rejoice. We rejoice in our tribulations. Okay? Now, James says this too. He says, whenever you face trials and persecutions and tribulations of many kind, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Because it's producing in you its perfect uh, purpose, which is conforming you to the image of God. 
making your character more like Christ. And so we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance leads to proving character and proving character hope. Now, have you ever thought of a person of character as being extremely hopeful? Like, man, that guy's got, he's got character. But you think hope is a part of that. I mean, you usually think integrity, he's honest, keeps his word, she keeps his word. But do you ever think of like, look at how much hope they got. That's a man of character. We typically don't think that, but the Bible's saying that this is what, this is a fruit of character is, is having hope. And part of the, how does hope come about is it actually starts with perseverance because you actually stand long enough trusting the Lord to see the Lord come through. David Hogan, you hear me talk about from time to time, but he, he started a ministry in the jungles of South Mexico. And over 40 years, they've started over a thousand churches, you know, like village churches and stuff in the bush in Mexico. And uh, they see all kinds of crazy signs and wonders. They've seen, you know, their ministry, com- seen over 500 people raised from the dead. 500 people raised from the dead. And, and so he gets asked questions like, so how do you raise, why did you start raising the dead? Or when did you start raising the dead? And he said, well, I got tired of seeing my friends die. Because there's no hospitals around. They have to uh, battle off drug lords. <laughs> Like, because that's where the drug cartel operates in those jungles where you can't see anything. And the drug guys don't like Jesus because Jesus gets people off drugs. So they're, they're, bad, they're having uh, the drug cartel murder the pastors and other Christians. And so he said, I got tired of seeing my friends die. And he's got rope burns on his hand from lowering caskets into graves. And they're like, well, how, you know, how are you successful in Mexico? You know, we all like formulas. I mean, that's just built into us. We like a formula. Just kind of tell us one, two, three. We can do that because it doesn't involve intimacy. <laughs> and so he said, all right, I'll give you my three-step formula to success. Number one, pray. Number two, fast. Number three, stay put. He said, that's my formula to success. And then he also said, he said, y'all don't raise the dead because y'all like food too much. And that's just the way he says it because they, they fast all the time down there. Now, and so he just, as you can see, he's just kind of a straight shooter. But he said, pray, fast, stay put. And what does that tell you of what it looks like? This is, this is the picture I have of David Hogan. God, I'm weak. <laughs> I can't do anything. I need you to show up. So here I am. He's praying. He's fasting. He's waiting on the Lord to show up. Another story of his is that early on in this ministry, they were, he had to go by horseback into this um, village that was really hard to reach. I mean, it's rocky. It's mountainy. Mountainy. Is that a word? English majors. Anybody? And so... He goes in there, and he's got tracks in Spanish. You know, he's pretty young on the mission field. And uh, 
the villagers beat him up within an inch of his life and throw him in the river. And he said he had his horse and his dog. Um, it was, I, anyways, I, I was trying to think of the name of the dog. It's one of those uh, cow dogs. But uh, that dog and horse just kind of stayed by the riverbank, and he, he pulled himself up out of the river, bleeding from his head, and he, ha- he got a tract. And it was one of those Spanish tracks that they had thrown on the ground and he, he was bleeding, so he just kind of did this. Dropped it back on the ground, got on his horse, hunched over the saddle, and his horse took him home. And he said, that's a, that's a good horse right there. <laughs> and he talks like that. He's a scratchy voice. And so 28 years later, he goes back to the same village, had not been back in 28 years. No Christian influence or even, you know, no other missionaries that he knows of have been there. And so he goes there and there's a church there. Everybody in the village are Christians. And so he finds the pastor and he says, how are y'all Christians? He said, I came here 28 years ago and y'all tried to kill me. And the pastor said, well, I was a little boy when you first came. And I was hiding behind a rock when the men beat you. And I saw you come up out of the river. And I saw you put something to your head and I saw you drop it. And when you left, I went over there and I picked it up and it was the track that had his blood on the track. And that little boy believed in Jesus. And then ended up leading the rest of the village to the Lord. And so, so many times, success in the Lord's eyes is just go. <laughs> just stay. Just pray. You know, whatever, like, just don't give up. And that's why it's so important, that the, and that's why Paul, especially, and Jesus as well, just talks about perseverance, steadfastness, long-suffering. Because we'll, and he's telling us because he's, he's like, There's, it's going to get hard. There's going to be some hard times. And so, he's, and so it produces hope. So what do you think happens to David Hogan's heart when he saw this village come to Jesus simply because... He went there 28 years ago, and he was willing to take a beating for those people to hear about Jesus. And he didn't even get to share the gospel, but the Lord used that little seed of that tract. What do you think he thinks about God? Do you think he's hopeful that God can do anything? Do you think he's hopeful that God can do the impossible? Do you think he's hopeful that God can use his smallest offering? He's hopeful. And it's because of the perseverance that leads to character, that leads to hope. A winner is just a loser who tried one more time. And so I just say that just to to say don't give up. Just persevere, stay steadfast, keep believing. You'll see the salvation of the Lord.
In, in uh, Exodus chapter 14, God's leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're not, they're not armed. They have a, they're, they're slaves, so they've not been trained for battle. <laughs> and Moses is, in, has, is insecure as a leader. And then the, the Lord spoke to Moses, and then Moses relayed this message to the people. He said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep your peace. Now, this is the key in this passage is to keep your peace. And so how do you keep your peace? It says when Isaiah 25 or, excuse me, 26, he whose mind is steadfast on you, meaning the Lord, you will keep in perfect peace. How do you keep your mind steadfast on the Lord? You got to fill your mind up with God thoughts. How do you fill your mind up with God thoughts? You got to speak out the word of the Lord. <laughs> God, you're with me. You never leave me or forsake me. You, I'm your son. I have you. You've given me your inheritance. I'm hidden in Christ. I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. You start reminding yourself what God's done for you. God, if you gave your only son for me, how much more will you not give me all things? How much more will you not give me what I need in my situation right now? And so you start letting the word of the Lord come, come out of your mouth. Joshua chapter 1, that was, he said, Joshua, if you're going to take these people into the promised land, the word, my word, has to be in your mouth day and night. It has to be in your mouth day and night. Because Joshua saw everything that God did through Moses. And then Moses dies. Joshua's handed the keys. And God says, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And Joshua's like, I'm having a hard time believing that. And so he says, well, this is what's going to happen, Joshua. You got to keep the word of the Lord in your mouth. And then he, when they cross the River Jordan, God splits the Jordan just like he did the Red Sea just to let Joshua know. He said, I'm with you. Do you see? I'm with you. Martin Luther King, um, when he was um, in the midst of the Civil Rights Act uh, movement, excuse me, he had just gotten a threatening phone call that said, we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your family. And they hung up the phone and he was at his dinner table. His family was asleep. And he said, Lord, I've, I've done everything I, I know to do to follow you. I've tried to obey you. I've tried to do what I felt like you're telling me to do. And just once, I'd like to hear you say my name. He said, I've never heard you say my name. And he just started crying at the dinner table. And the Lord spoke to him and said, never alone, Martin. And, and it gave Martin Luther King such, such courage to keep going, to keep pressing in in the midst of all the, the, uh, the backlash and the resistance. He said, never alone, Martin. You're never alone. Now, when God speaks to you, it, it penetrates your heart. And that's a promise he has for each and every one of us as, as his children. And so Moses, he, he's, te uh, he's telling them, stand firm. 
Jehoshaphat, they're surrounded by the enemy. They, their army's <laughs> very weak at this time. They're vastly outnumbered. Jehoshaphat says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And then the Lord gave them further instructions. He said, actually, he said, I actually want you to send the singers and the worshipers out onto the battlefield in front of the army. And when the worshipers went out on the battlefield, it says they were singing this, this phrase, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. That was their song. I mean, they're just dancing onto the battlefield. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. Did you know that's a... That's a warfare line. That you, if you need something in, in the middle of your war to, to, to speak out, speak that out. I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. And so they go out there and it says that the Lord called, sent confusion into the enemy's camp. And so the enemy actually attacked themselves, killed themselves, and Israel won without lifting a sword. And that says they took all the loot off the battlefield, all the spoils. That's a good battle. So the greatest oak was once a little nut who held its ground. That's how we start off. That's how our lives start off. That's how every act done for the Lord starts off. It starts off as a seed. That's all we have to give to the Lord is a seed of faith, and then he causes us the fruit. Now, how many of you, you know, part of, uh, part of training is to push, you, to push yourself beyond what you think you can do. When I played basketball, I had... Uh, one, of my, one of the coaches I had in high school was going to make sure that we were the best conditioned team. And there was one night in particular when everybody was almost throwing up. I mean, just, you know, whatever. We, could, we kept running, we kept running, and we just, we were literally going about this fast up and down the court. And... But we knew if we could survive one of our coaches' practices that, like, the games were easy because we're in such good shape. Whenever, um, you know, the military trains their soldiers, pushes them. You see, the, like, the Navy SEALs, they're, they're going out into the waves with a 500-pound log above their head with... Four, guys, four or five guys holding it, and they're just like wading into the sea. Now, are they ever going to hold a log above their head in combat? I mean, maybe, but probably not very often in the very least. But that's, that's not the purpose. The purpose is, is like you're going to do something that you think that you can't, you, you didn't have the ability to do. And so um, Bill Johnson, I've heard him say, when you pray, 
So you're praying for healing for somebody and maybe the healing didn't manifest as quickly as you wanted it to. He says it's, it's like you're pushing against a thousand pound boulder and maybe it doesn't look like anything's moving. But then you go to this 500 pound boulder and it moves easily. And so what that perseverance is doing, it's building you up in your inner man. It's building you up in your faith. Now in Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. It talks about how to engage in war. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I don't see Travis in that verse. Finally, be strong in Travis and the strength of his might. That'd be really scary. That'd, I'd, you'd lose that battle right there. And so finally, we be, we're strong in the Lord and the, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so you could do a whole sermon on the armor of God, which we're, not going to do today, but part of this warfare mode is twice it says stand. And then it says here at the end, it says persevere in your prayers. And sometimes your prayers can look like moaning and groaning. Like you, it says the Holy Spirit groans with intercession. <laughs> the Lord, you know, he, he knows all languages. He even knows the language of moaning. So if you're, at that, if you're in that place where you're just like, God, I, I can't even get words out. I don't even know what to pray. And you just moan. God could interpret that. He's like, I'm sending help. I'm here. I'm with you. And he'll meet you in that place. I think one of the th most important things in warfare is that helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians calls it the helmet of hope. So you put on a helmet of hope and, and you, you make note of your thoughts that are not filled with hope. That's the biggest clue. What thoughts are you having that are not filled with hope? Well, I go into work, my boss is probably gonna say this. Is that like a, is it pessimistic? Is it critical? I can't do this, I can't do that. What are you, what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about your life? You're the prophet of your own life. Nobody's going to prophesy of your life more than you. Not your wife, not your kids, not your best friend, not the minister down the street, not me, whoever. It's, you're the prophet of your own life. So what are you saying about yourself? Is it, with, is it what God is saying? Even when Israel in the Old Testament rebelled against God, spitting in his face, 
pretty much and the way they're acting. God would rebuke them and then he's, he would call them back to who they were. He's like, you're the apple of my, you're my treasure, you're my chosen people. And now we'll restore you again. <laughs> so even when the Lord corrected, he always brought it back. He was like, this is who you are. Gideon, who was scared, least of his tribe. His tribe was the least of all the tribes. So he was the lowest man on the totem pole. He said, arise, you valiant warrior. And so that our, our thoughts always have to be filled with hope. That's the helmet of salvation. You have to think about this. Abraham, 75 years old, when the Lord spoke to him the promise. And he, as an older man, left Ur, which was believed to be either, you know, around modern-day Iran, northern Iraq. That's not, a, that's not a short journey. He just kept walking until the Lord told him to stop. It's called walking off your map. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't have a map of the world. He just knew it was like heading west. All right, God, I'm trusting you. And then he says, I'm going to give this land to you. He's like, well, I'm 75 years old. He's like, yeah, I'm going to give you an heir. I can't have kids. Sarah's my age. She can't have kids. When they had a son, he was 99 years old. Jacob he was 20 years serving under his deceiving uncle, Moses. He killed the Egyptian and ran into the wilderness, and he was a shepherd for 40 years, thinking he, had, he thought he had blown it for 40 years until the Lord met him in the burning bush. Joshua and Caleb. Now, think about this. If anybody had kind of a right to have it be a bitter pill, I think it would be Joshua and Caleb because they were spies sent into the promised land and they came back with a report, we can take them. And the other 10 said, no, nah, they're too big, they're giants, we're grasshoppers in their sight. And then all the people believed the bad report. And as a result, they had to stay 40 years longer in the wilderness. And Joshua and Jacob, I can just imagine, like, Lord, we believed. Why do we have to stay back here? But you never see, see them being bitter. Instead, when they got to it, Caleb's, he said, give me that mountain right there. I want that one because that's got a lot of giants on it. He chose the one with the most giants on it. He's like, Joshua. Because Joshua is divvying out the inheritance. He said, give me that one. He's 80 years old. And he still wants a piece. And so he goes up there, takes out the giants, and he gives gives the inheritance to his daughter. David lived in the wilderness running from Saul for 15 years. So imagine Samuel anoints David, you're going to be king. Everybody's singing, Saul's, you know, they're doing their war jig and, and they're like, Saul's killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David's like, I am the man. And then Saul throws the spear. Next thing you know, he's, he's in the wilderness running for his life. And his, his band of mighty men are like all the rejects in the, in the country. They're all the guys who are unstable. They've got mental issues. They've got family issues. But then God turns them into the mightiest warriors. One of the guys, I think it was Eleazar or Eliab, he killed like 400 guys, and it said the, the blood dried his hand to the sword. 
That's intense. Anyways, I, that's another sermon. And so um, Ezekiel, he had 22 years of prophetic ministry. Jeremiah, he said, God said, you're going to prophesy to a people who won't listen to you. <laughs> that's going to be your ministry. <laughs> Like, Joshua never knew a crowd that liked him. But he spoke the word of the Lord. This is what it means to persevere. Another important thing to remember when you're trying to persevere is to actually remember your reward. God actually wants us to remember this. He says, hey, you have a reward. What does Jesus say when he's coming back? He says, I'm coming, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. <laughs> Philippians 4, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This is a perfect example of what our lives look, look like. We're, we're forsaking the treasures of Egypt, which you could just substitute the world in for that. Bearing the reproach of Christ, it's, even in America, it's increasingly becoming uh, more of a reproach to be a Christian. Okay? So there's the reproach of Christ, but it says, what was he looking at? He was looking at a reward. Moses was living from an eternal perspective. He wasn't looking at, like, the, the here and now. He just understood that He's a spirit trapped in a man's body, his, and he has an eternal spirit, <laughs> and God's the, the one who created him. So remember your reward. And then also, don't believe God is a liar. I think this creeps in sometimes. So when God, this is Hebrews chapter 6, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest for, forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so it says he swears by two unchangeable things. He swears, number one, by his nature, I could even say maybe three, but he's, he's swearing by himself and by his promise. And then he makes a vow. So he, he says, I'm making you a promise. And then he vows to keep the promise. <laughs> two unchangeable things. He made you a promise and then he vows to keep his promise. Like double promise. And then it says this, it's impossible for God to lie. 
But sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, <laughs> that's probably not true. That makes sense. I had a client one time. She, um, she said, Travis, you know, I think sometimes those people preaching on the streets are more filled with the Holy Spirit than we are. You know, the crazy ones. And uh, I said, yeah, I think so too. I said, I said you know, Isaiah ran around butt naked for at least two years, prophesying. And she went, no, he didn't. I was like, uh, yeah, he did. It's right there in the Bible. She said, he didn't do that. I said, he did. And I showed her where it says Isaiah ran around naked. And she went, you can't believe everything you read in the Bible. <laughs> And this person believed that communion, I told her, I said, you believe that the, the blood and bread is actually Jesus' body and blood? I said, why can't you believe Isaiah ran around butt naked for two years? And so, and then she said, you probably think Jonah was in the belly of the fish, don't you? I said, I do. I said, What's more crazy, somebody being raised from the dead or somebody in the, the belly of a whale or fish? I mean, can you, heal a, can you heal a headache? No. When you pray for somebody and they get healed of a headache, is it any less miraculous than being healed of cancer? Because you have no power. So, like, we make stuff up. God does anything he wants to do. Elijah outran a chariot. So imagine a man running at least 45 miles per hour. That would be awesome. Jesus, um, levitated up to heaven, right? It says he ascended from where they saw him. He went. That's happened as well in recent history where people in worship have levitated? Where do you think the devil got that from? I'm telling you, like, walking on water. So what's like stranger, levitating or walking on water? I know the levitating thing bothered some of y'all. But what's, what's stranger, levitating or walking on water? Both. What's stranger, John the Apostle not burning at the stake or levitating. What's stranger? Martyrs in Russia being put out in sub-zero temperatures tied to a stake or levitating. And they, and they live and they're warm. Their skin's warm. What's stranger? Polycarp. At the stake, being burned and the flames would not touch him or levitating. I'm telling you, listen, God does whatever he wants to do. He does whatever he wants to do. What's strange? My dad, good old Southern Baptist, South Georgia boy, cut his finger on a tin can all the way to the bone when he... And he was put it under the, the sink, washing the blood off. He was looking for a towel. 
And when he pulled his finger out, it was, it was healed. He didn't even pray for that. So what's stranger? My dad, he's behind the, behind the barn. When he was eight years old, he said, God, I got to know you're real. Middle of the night. He said, I got to know you're real, and I'm not leaving until I know. And right when he had made up his mind in his heart, I got to know you're real, he said, the whole sky lit up as light as day for about five seconds and went whoom, back to night. And, God, and he said, I'll do. <laughs> God does whatever he wants to do. He does all that he pleases. He is not a liar. I want to focus in a little bit on Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I want to back up one second before I get into Abraham. What, was, what did the devil want Job to do when he came before the Lord to accuse Job? If you read Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, he says, God, if, if you let me touch his belongings, he will curse you to your face. So the Lord allowed him. He lost everything, lost his family. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan comes back to the Lord and he says, now, okay, I know he didn't re renounce you, Lord, but if you touch a man's flesh, he'll curse you to his face. Now, I want you to notice in Job, that it was Satan that touched Job. The Lord didn't put the boils on him. The Lord didn't cause him to lose all of his belongings and family. And I don't understand how all that works. So don't ask me after church. I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But all I know is that Satan is the one that touched Job. And so Job still did not curse the Lord. He had a lot of questions, and that's what the rest of Job is about. But how does Job finish up? Chapters 38, 39, Job's been complaining. His, his, he's got counselors giving him bad advice. They're like, you just, you, you did something wrong, Job. That's, that was their counsel in a nutshell. So you had to have done something wrong. You deserve this somehow. You, you brought this on yourself some way. He's like, I didn't do anything. And so then he's like, God, have you seen what I've done? I, I give to the poor. I, I'm, I'm faithful in my religious duties and all this kind of stuff. And, and God says, Job, brace yourself like a man. And then he goes into all the things that Job doesn't do. Did you tell the waves to stop here? Did you summon the eagle from the 
from the east? Do you store up hailstones in the storehouses of heaven? Do you cause the deer to calf and the, the bear to go out of hibernation? Surely you were there when I created the world. Tell me, how does this happen? <laughs> and he goes on, like God doesn't stop. He thought he'd be like over in just three chapters. And then Job says, I shouldn't have spoke. I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord says, Job, you're a good boy. Here's everything that's ever been taken from you, restored to double. That's, what the, that's God's heart, is for you to end up with a double portion. <laughs> but there may be perseverance in the meantime. There may be an attack from Satan that's touching your belongings, that's touching your body, and the Lord, he wants to heal you. Jesus showed the Father's heart when it says, every manner of sickness and disease he healed. Everyone that came to Jesus was healed. And so Abraham, he's by faith, he's going to the land of promise. And then Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, y'all, y'all remember Sarah's first response when the Lord told her she was going to have a baby? What'd she do? <laughs> and so they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. Because the Lord's like, I'm going to make you prophesy your future every time you say your son's name. Laughter, come in for dinner. And so she had to say it. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now I want you to catch this in verse 12. Abraham was alive but was, but was as good as dead. What does this mean? It means you have no power to bear fruit in your flesh. Abraham, in his flesh, in his own strength, has no power to bear any kind of fruit. And so there's, the Old Testament is always types and shadows for what our life is to look like. And so that Abraham, being an old man and having a son, is actually an example of what our life looks like. I don't have the ability to bear fruit, but God does. All I have to do is trust him. All I have to do is walk out and believe the promise because my flesh is as good as dead, right? It says we have died. We're now hidden in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. And so what is, the God, what is God's heart in times of persevering? Well, imagine what a father, how he would want to walk with his child, a loving father. When, even when Israel, rebellious Israel, was in the desert, he said, I carried you in my arms as a father carries his son and with a rebellious child. God is a good father. He is a good father. And in your weakness, he comes alongside of us. You know, it's, it's hard to find God when you're strong. It's hard to find God's love when you're strong, but when you're weak, God's love finds you. And so the life of walking with God is an invitation to weakness. It's an invitation to surrender. 
kind of goes against everything in the American culture. Weakness. Surrender. But when you're strong, it's hard to find God's love. But when you're weak, God's love will find you. We're going to watch this video. Um, Derek Redmond, some of you may have seen it before, but this was an Olympic athlete from 1992. So just sit and watch.
Stand. Wait, if you'll come on down. So we're going to worship the one more song and I just want you open up your heart to the Lord and if you're in a, a place of pain and a place of trial let's tell the Father I need you to fight for me I need you, Father. I need you to fight for me. If you do not know Jesus, you need to surrender. <laughs> you need to give your life to him because he's the one that created you. He's the one that loves you all that you're longing for and looking for in life is found in him because he is the life and so Jesus died for us publicly it says anyone that believes on the Lord that he is that and Jesus that he is the son of God and confesses that shall be saved And so when you confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, it's the act of faith that invites him in. So we're going to worship in one more song if our ministry team will come over to the side. If you want to receive Jesus into your heart today, you can go to one of our ministry teams.